Well, hello there, and welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we explore current events through the lens of the Christian worldview. But as each uh, lens has a prismatic effect, we will be dealing with different slices of the Christian apologetic with the hope that um, we can answer today's cultural issues from a specific area of the Christian apologetic. This morning, we got Winston in the chair of theology. How are you this morning? Doing well. How are you? Doing well. Glad to have you on here. Going to the scriptures for the reason why we believe what we believe. And to his left, we got Jennifer. Hello. I will be in the chair of philosophy today. Glad to have you there, dealing with the intellectual rigor the Christian must bring. And to her left, we got uh, Mr. Steve. How are you, sir? I am doing great today. I'm going to be walking down the road of culture. Glad to have you there, dealing with the counterculture that the Christian must bring to the culture. And yours truly sitting in the chair of politics and warming the chair of economics as well. Uh, Let's go ahead and dig into it today. Again, if you did not get it by the uh, title of this podcast, if you did not read that, this is a we're going to not be incredibly explicit on this, but we are going to be talking about themes that you may not want the children to be thinking about or hearing, but guess what? They are learning it in school. So uh, with that in mind, take care. Let's talk about critical gender theory today. But before we di- uh, dive down the rabbit hole, Jennifer, do you have the definition for gender from the Webster's 1828? Yes. Uh, The first definition is properly a kind or sort, and the second is a sex, male or female. So gender used to be a grammatical term, a term that was specifically referenced to, and and if you've studied more than one language, you know that different languages have gendered, uh, uh, even down to adjectives in some some cultures. So that's, that's been a function of grammar. It's a human universal. Yes. And it's been a function of grammar. It's a human universal for years. However, Merriam-Webster 2022. Uh, Winston, do you have that? Merriam-Webster 2022. Or do you have that, Mr. Steve? Yes, I have it right here. Okay, good, Winston. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, Yeah, okay. Um, The feminine gender, behavioral, cultural, or psychological traits typically associated with one sex. Give me the next one as well. Or am I am oh. I am I out here? Okay. Yes, excuse me. I did not put both of those in there. That is correct. Behavioral cultural uh, psychological traits. So, when did this shift happen? Feels like just in the last couple of years. Well, it's been moving through academia For from longer than that. For, for a lot longer, since the 1930s, when the Frankfurt School's thought and process started to shift and change how we viewed sex and how we viewed human physical interaction. And it, it's, it's, there's a culmination of this that occurred in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and we've, we're finally seeing it come out into mainstream culture. When you start to redefine terms... What, you know, Jennifer, you and I were talking about this before we got on the podcast, uh, Chair Philosophy. When you start to redefine terms, what kind of power do those who redefine the terms uh, acquire? Well, they literally have the power to make it whatever they want. Because if, if we're not going to stay with the, the 
um, the original uh, the, definition. Yeah, the original definition, the agreed upon definition, and you can just make it however you feel like, then you can make it whatever best suits you politically, culturally, or philosophically. But unfortunately, there's a reason that these things are the way that they are. And these redefinitions are creating just horrendous contradictions. And it, the whole theory is full of illogical inconsistencies from top to bottom. Which we'll definitely try to pick apart today for you so that you'll be able to articulate that well to your friends and family who have questions or perhaps have fallen prey to this ideology. But I, I want to hop back to the theology chair because I just wanted to set out a bit of the problem. What does God say about diverse weights and measures? Um, in, in regard to what? Are we talking literal weight? We're talking about literal weight, but there's a figurative side to this. You know, it's an abomination when you start to lie or cheat or change the way that we uh, measure, measure, view, measure or view or articulate or define things. Uh, do not remove the ancient landmark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, partiality. So, and, well... That's a whole nother thing entirely, that you, you, you create a system of uh, partiality with critical theory and Marxism. Mm -hmm. and, and that right there is really interesting. But I want to go over to the chair of culture. When you have a redefinition of the word gender, which it, again, used to be a grammatical term, had very little to do with biology or sexual interaction of humans. When you redefine that term, and you have a certain group of people who've gone to education institutes that are holding this idea, what happens when there's a cultural rift where there is a different set of language? There are two sets of language. The old definition and the children that are coming out of schools who have a different education. A diff and these are 20, 30-year-old kids who are coming out of schools and they have a different understanding of the words that their parents are still using. What does that do to a society? What does that do to a culture? What you end up with is people using terms, <clears throat> excuse me, that are, say, like me. I'm in my 60s. I talk to you, and we may use the same word, but the definition is different in our culture because you may have been taught that in school or in college, say, I use this term school uh, lightly. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, that you're going to try to, you're going to understand it in a different way. Let's say like, okay, we have some kindergartners, seven years old, maybe first graders, and hey, they believe Spider-Man is like real. Superman's real. Okay, you can talk to them, and you tell them he's not, and you they go what? No. Okay, they think Santa Claus. Talk about Santa Claus. Tell them about all of these things. Everything is real to them in their own mind. The and innocence then you start, of child. Right. It's it, incredibly easy to take advantage minds. of. And, but you start talking to them about a 
gender fluidity type thing and their gender is not what they believe it is, then they start thinking, huh, what? What are you talking about? What what parents don't know is that they come, Planned Parenthood will come in and do exactly that. They'll come in, and I I was at an event where a former Planned Parenthood uh, uh, operative came a Christian, you know, and she, she says she weeps every night thinking, you know, she has to hold herself back and remember that God's grace is sufficient. But she, she recounted how she would go about this. She would go into a four and five year old room, you know, pre-K kindergarten room and ask all the kids, okay, what do your parents call your privates? And they would say pee pee, tata, whatever. Okay. Again, get the kids out of the room if, if they're in here so far, but the parents would but but the parents would call the you know these euphemistic words that the children would 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 explain to these Planned Parenthood quote unquote teachers or subject matter experts, and these folks would come in and they would say, no 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 that's a penis that's a vagina, and your parents do not know what you're talking about. They're talking about come to us. We understand how to educate you on these matters, and this comes from critical theory. This comes from breaking. This is the collectivized ownership of the children and this is the state creeping in when you hire the state to teach your kids make sure that you're at those school board meetings make sure that you're watching what your kids are bringing home ask them what they did because not all but a lot of school boards are allowing Planned Parenthood to come in and groups like Planned Parenthood this one lady explained her objective was to get between three and five abortions out of a girl before she hit 18 and they would sexualize them in third and fifth grade. Fifth grade, they taught them abstinence training, uh, where it was uh, sodomy and oral sex. And that was, again, I'm sorry to talk about that, but I'm just saying this is what they're teaching your eight-year-olds, your nine-year-old children. This is what they're teaching them in public here's schools. An, here's an interesting thing. It, it, it come across on a feed of mine on... Uh, because I'd been doing some research on all of this, and a feed came up, and it did not mention the particular school that this happened in, but the principal of this school did a drag show, okay? I saw that too. And But even what was worse about it was is that the guy had no underdrawers on. And the kids that were up near the front of the aisles, when he was doing certain things, had full full view of this guy. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. So we're talking elementary school. And and this is a principal dressed in drag doing a drag show. This is not isolated either. And and, and what you'll see is, is a desire with critical theory, to deconstruct, quote-unquote, the power structures, i.e., in Western culture and civilization, the Judeo-Christian ethic. And what they want to do politically is reshape a world where they can live and they can breathe and they can talk and do exactly what they want without repercussion from a holy God. That's the political angle. And again, economic angle, always remember, when you're coming out with a new curriculum, Guess what you can do? Sell it. Sell it. So there's a multi-pronged approach to changing the definition of gender. So 
let's let's go through a couple of the tenets of critical gender theory and and then we'll break them down and it, it was really hard for me to break like critical race theory it was easy to find the four or five tenets of it you know some people argue about the fifth tenet but gender theory it was kind of hard to nail down salient points because it's also squishy yeah very very up in the air and just every time the wind blows something changes it, it just it just uh, it, it depends on who you're who you're reading so uh two two tenets that i think are solid i think we can all agree on it uh gender is a social construct it's a common tenet and also gender is performative and what i mean by that is or what they mean by that is gender is a is an activity you you're on a spectrum so if you perform more masculinely you are more of a male if you perform more effeminately or femininely you are a female or somewhere in the middle well i think that they they would even go so far as to say that it has no bearing on male or female because those are sex terms and they're the they're all about separating sexes by well some people some not not some people just outright deny biology altogether but a very common point of view is that sex and gender are two totally separate things and sex is your chromosomes but gender is whatever you want it to be and it's just not true. So let's go to the biology. Let's start with gender as a social construct. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not a biologist. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Supreme Court nominee of 2022, uh, Kentaji Jackson. Just anyway. Okay. Uh, I, I just had to throw it's that just in foolish. there from culture. It's just foolishness. Okay. So let's, let, let's go into it. But biology... Is, is is an interesting thing, and it's kind of a pain when you're when you're when you're trying to push this. Ninety eight percent of people globally identify as uh, born with their God given gender, and there's a there's an article in the in the description uh, to a statista.com where you can see that ninety eight percent of the world does indeed identify with their own gender. Only two percent are aberrant in um, in their identification. Now. What that means, and if you look at, at the breakdown based on, on who all identifies, Western cultures are more likely to identify with a higher percentage because it's a fad, it's a trend. And, it, you know, go ahead and check out that stat if you want. But let's not deal with the soci- uh, sociology. Let's just deal, for the moment, just with the biology. And, you know, Nurse Jennifer here, we can, we can have a talk about this. Biology, a lot of people will say, and, and uh, in his image, really good documentary from American Family Radio. If you want to watch that, it's an hour, 40 minutes, free on YouTube. Great, great doc. But uh, they'll say, biology states, if you have a Y chromosome, you will develop into a male. Uh, that's not always true. Technically, if you have an XY, you'll develop into a male. But I know what they're saying. Yes. Just to be precise, because, you know, if, if you start talking to a dishonest person, they will use those things against you. Well, and there's even there's even a step further. There are there are other folks with very rare expressions. Absolutely. Where th- th- there's two or three genes that, you know, the, the Y, if you want to think about it, is kind of like the, uh, the light switch. But sometimes that light switch is broken, and even though it's there... The, the, the person that pops out of the womb is a woman. I mean, that happens. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, sometimes the switch doesn't want to work. Very, very, very rarely. <clears throat> but it's because we live in a fallen world. And Winston, just, be, just because we live in a fallen world, chair of theology, does that mean that God's natural order is somehow thrown out the window? No, that just means the uh, 
uh, what is it called? The uh, the system is not operating at system spec. It's nothing. That doesn't mean the specification is wrong. That just means the system is. Very good. Very good. So this is from the Intersex uh, 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 Society of, of America. They're, they have got about 15,000 people in the United States have some either mixture of XXY, XYY, or they're, they're XY and, and they're a woman or whatever. And, and these are, quote unquote, intersex people. What, what, what really this is, is these are men and women with androgynous uh, uh, hormone responses, and they have a, you know, a resistance to that. And Jennifer, I don't, I don't know if you care to add any weight to that. Well, I, I would just say that a lot of times when people are talking about intersex in the general population, uh, they will say things like, you know, they're born with both, you know, talking about they have both uh, penis and vagina. And to some extent, that can be true. But even within the intersex population, there's typically one um, presentation that is um, more so than the other. There's not a single intersex that can impregnate themselves. Right. If that helps, if that helps clarify it. Right. There are, there are some cosmetic changes. There are some chromosomal changes. And in specific instances, there are other medical considerations, not in all of them, but in some of them. But typically there is one that presents more than the other. Correct. And, and, and the ones that don't, uh, by the way, we'll talk about John Money, but um, Dr. John Money, but um, the Intersex Society actually hates money because he would absolutely make the wrong call. He's kind of like Dr. Fauci, makes the wrong call Probably consistently. Probably on purpose. And had no, yeah, well, yeah, we, we can get really well, tinfoil yeah, hatty. get into that. We can get real tinfoil hatty on that, and, and part of me wants to think about that, but... Um, it makes you wonder if that if that castration was intentional or not because it was a twin, because it was a twin subject. But we'll talk about that in a moment. But even the, if you take this fifteen thousand of the population of the United States, that's one percent of one percent of the population. Most of these people do present as either male or female. A lot of them are infertile. And l let me let me start right here. If you're intersex and you're listening to this, I'm not talking about you. And when, when I say that gender is a social co construct, no, no, biology, by and large, the rule is male or female. And there should be mercy and there should be grace with people who are s suffering from an intersex condition. That's why it's, it's so important to understand the grace of God. Absolutely. God gives grace to everyone that is willing to accept it that what that is what makes him such a fantastic god well and absolutely and in the case of intersex folks it's not even an issue of of sin or not sin it's just a matter of we need that to be we need to be part of a fallen world we need to be careful because they're living in a fallen world exactly but aside from the exception to the rule x and y chromosomes if you have an X and a Y, probably a guy. Uh, there's not even a probably. It, it's X, when when you take into account, not exclude or what, take into account the intersex population outside of that. If you're X and Y, you're a man. Yeah. There, there's no probably about it. It's pretty. It's it's pretty definitive. There's pretty definitive. There, there are some folks that claim that, and 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 it's a. It, I'd I'd like to look at the actual data and stats on that. Yeah. 
but there are some folks that claim that it is possible to have. It's very incredibly rare. We're talking one in like twenty million or something like that. You know, and you don't even but, have to be a but, biologist. Yeah, I'd, I'd have I'd have to see specific cases. But but so and, and I was reading about one that supposedly was, but I'm like, eh, I want more. I want more sources cited. But it's, it's an interesting rabbit hole to dive down. It's an interesting rabbit hole to dive down. But point is, even if that is the case, we're talking in one in a million or, or even further. The rest of the folks who are claiming this, most intersex people just want to be left alone. Really. Yeah. In fact, they generally say, leave me out of your craziness. Yeah. I don't want to be involved in yeah. this. Intersex and transgender is not the same thing. And using those two arguments, uh, conflating those two arguments is incoherent. It's, it's worse than conflating rape and incest with uh, convenience abortions. Yeah. It's worse. Because because it is clearly not linked. When most of these people who say that gender is a construct are biological males, biological females who have a clearly defined set of um, uh, hardware, and they want to change, and it's because they have a dysmorphic, dysphoric view of themselves and God's order, respectively. The problem is, you can't tweak biology to suit your own whims and fancy. Uh, because it, it does not end well. And a really good experiment that was done, I should say a very evil experiment was done, but it proves fairly well what this looks like, uh, proves that you cannot play with biology. So the story of David uh, Raymer should provide some good insight into this. And if you've heard of David Raymer, that's, that's good. Keep listening, because Dr. John Money had some interesting, strange bedfellows. Before we talk about David's story, we should talk about uh, Dr. John Money and who we associated with. Dr. John Money has been heralded as the man who uh, invented gender. He, he's the one who came out and redefined that term. But so who, who were some of Dr. John Money's bedfellows? Well, uh, Alfred Kinsey of the Kinsey Institute, you can actually still find Dr. John Money lauded there as, as one of the best uh, doctors of psychology and uh, sex uh, sexuality on their website at um, kinseyinstitute.org. But Alfred Kinsey was a sex researcher who collaborated with people like Dr. Fritz von uh, Alusek, and I don't care if I butchered it, he's a Nazi officer that would rape his victims and even children. Again, I'm sorry, if you have children in the room, get them out because we're going to talk about this. Uh, Fritz and other pedophiles were encouraged by Kinsey to not only continue this, but document the results of their activities on women and small children. There was one uh, chart in Dr. Kinsey's book, The Speed of Pre-Adolescent Orgasm, with data points totaling in the tens or dozens, with five-month-olds being on the chart. It, I, I, pure I'm, evil. I, I, pure evil. It, you know, and I don't have any kind of respect or mercy for people like that personally. This is a cultural thing coming from. No, I, I mean, a, I am full blown Christian person, but I'll tell you what: you would not want to know what I would do to someone like that. That well, is, it's not. It's know, not even. Well, that is just what, what you're sick expressing. Son of a gun. What you're expressing is a godly, it's a godly instinct. There's a godly way to handle it. Um, hey, chair of theology, what does the Bible say about a doctor like this? 
what what what's the punishment for someone like this? Uh, death. Um, this is you are tampering. You you have decided to completely disregard what Scripture said. Um, you have essentially decided that you are God and you are allowed to decide what is good and what is not. So you have several different things going on here. Um, you're violating a child, and you have decided that you yourself are God, and these things are okay to mess with. You've put yourself in a position of authority that you just do not have. You've taken with power what you did not have with an authority, mm-hmm. and God does not look kindly upon that. So Kinsey was... Again, very much, you know, what we're talking about 1930s Germany. People don't realize how much of Germany is still affecting our world. The 1800s Germany that tried to conquer Europe once before the First World War, First World War, Second World War. They, their view of society, they came from the left side of the Enlightenment. And someday we should do, I really, really, really want to do a full documentary on the Enlightenment and how that came to be and what the two different branches of the Enlightenment look like, the John Locke that created freedom in America and the Edmund Burke side that ultimately created the French Revolution where innocents died, and then you saw the rise of fascism, socialism, and communism. But that's what we're dealing with here. So, and, and, Frit, and Kinsey was a contemporary of uh, John, Dr. John Money. Now, he... Dr. John Money, I don't know if you have, if you can see that quote there, Jennifer, uh, from Dr. John Money at the bottom of the paragraph. Mm-hmm. If I were to see a case of, this is Dr. John Money's perspective on pedophilia and on the activities of, uh, you know, people like Dr. Kinsey and Dr. Fritzbun. Yeah. So he said, if I were to see a case of a boy aged ten or eleven who is intensely erotically attracted toward a man in his twenties or thirties. If the relationship is totally mutual, which is not possible, by the way, and the bonding is genuinely totally mutual, then I would not call it pathological in any way. And he said this in 1991 in an interview with the Journal of Pedophilia, which should not exist. Where's the millstone? <laughs> Man, I, I mean, mean, really. That's, and, and so once <laughs> you start having academics, Winston who are not only allowed this sort of activity, there's a reason the Lord put a death penalty in place. Why? Why did God make it so that someone like this would be cut out of the population? To prevent it from spreading. It's, it's, it reminds me a lot, honestly, of uh, Eli's sons. Um, they, because of their transgressions and what they had caused the children of Israel to do to loathe the offering of God. Uh, they were they were judged and killed because that's the for the protection of everybody else. And so, let me ask you something. Theologically, what kind of theology do we have if we allow this to coexist? Critical gender theory, the theory of this man. To coexist in our church with Christ. Well, you don't really have much theology at all at that point. Um, 
you have, I, I mean, I don't know where you would find the teaching and support it scripturally. Um, you, we've got a lot that that uh, weighs against uh, it, and we'll I, get to. I, I yeah. know exactly where you'd find that teaching. I believe, uh, yea, hath God said you were born male or female? I think that's in the Bible, so it counts, right? I think, I, yeah, that's, it's something along those lines. That's kind of <laughs> like at the very beginning. Yeah. <laughs> so it, exactly, and, and that's and that's where our church has gone, but. We've allowed this stuff to coexist. We've allowed evil to dwell in our land. Let's talk about one case study, because conservatives, we like to have our chalkboards and our little Bristol board, and we have the little datas and stats and statistics and facts. Guess what? When you're dealing—this is an apologetics podcast. When you are reaching out to your friends, your family, your neighbors, do not reach out to them with stats. Stats are good. Have them. Reach out to them with stories, because they're, each statistic is a real person, is a real person. You want to win someone's heart, tell them a story. And the story of uh, Bruce, Brenda, David, Raymer is an interesting story. That's all one person through the course of his life. Let's get to it real quick. Raymer was one of the many victims of John Money, Dr. John Money. I, I, I hesitate to use use the term doctor. And his idea uh, that gender was performative and constructed by social expectations. Uh, Dr. Money, when he found out, and again, I, I question whether he found out, because uh, that, that David and Brian Raymer, twins, uh, had famosis... Well, he uh, was Bruce as an infant. Yes, excuse me, Bruce. Thank you. Keep me, keep me honest on that here, because this is convoluted. Bruce and Brian Raymer had phimosis, uh, and uh, they were going to remove this phimosis by a carterization. And and phimosis is just a very general terms. It's a, a a malformation of the penis. Yeah. In some way. Which which is my understanding they could have took care of with just scalpel. circumcision. A scalpel. A scalpel w would have done it, but they but they used quote unquote this experimental, which again, it tinfoil hat on here for just a moment. It it does scream a question mark when you have people who are Nazi sympathizing. Yeah, I, I believe that the, the Nazis had something uh, like with twins. Yes, yeah. they, they, they did yeah. a lot of things with twins. And you have these people who not only collaborated with, you know, the, this general uh, uh, intellectual elite, if you will, they as they thought of themselves. They were directly associated with They're Nazis. directly associated. You, 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 you want to know where Hitler got his ideas of, of mass incarceration and sterilization. It came from the American left. And that's a whole nother conversation that we should have sometime. But there was a lot of, lot of that going on. So it just it just does beg the question because the, these twins were horribly misused. But David Bruce Raymer was uh, castrated by this process of the carter. They used a carterizing tool to get rid of this this malformation, this phimosis of the penis. And uh, then his parents went to Johns Hopkins, and at Johns Hopkins they met. Dr. John Money, who suggested that they cut off what was left. We don't know how much was or wasn't left. And uh, remove the testicles and do a full gender reassignment surgery. Okay? If you want to understand, it, do me a favor. Before you consider uh, 
saying that gender reassignment surgery is a good thing, go ahead and watch a video, a 3D representation of what that is and what that does, and then tell me that it's a good idea. But that was the recommendation. They trust the the Ramers, parent, the parents that trusted the doctor for Bruce, and John Money then said Bruce should be raised as Brenda. Brenda at two years old. Does anyone remember what Brenda did at two years old with the dresses that were put on him? No, I don't remember that part he, of the story. He ripped them off and threw them on the ground. The Barbies, the toys. Mm -hmm. He threw them away. He, he wanted to play with trucks. He wanted to do things with boys. His mom insisted that, no, no, it, you're just a tomboy. It's okay. It, you know, it's just, it is what it is. And by the way, mom and dad fell into drinking problems and all sorts of other things. The guilt of what was occurring was horrible, but they trusted the doctor. They trusted the experts. They trusted the science, so to speak. As it continued, though, every year, Dr. John Money would have um, these these sessions, these checkup sessions, where he would have Bruce, or Brenda rather, and Brian, the twins, perform sexual acts on each other, while he and his colleagues, sometimes him by himself, would watch on, up to six colleagues at a time in the in the room. Didn't he photograph and videos, or take, yes, do things of that nature also? Yes. But what's this guy an advocate of? Pedophilia. When you start to allow these people to exist, this is the crap that happens. Exactly. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not here for purging. If you have pedophilic feelings, I'm not here to get rid of you. I'm telling you right now, get help. Get help. And you got to get help. You cannot let that foment. You cannot let that dwell. You have to go get help. And you can't. You can't do it by yourself. It will, end given, given the chance that it will end poorly, you can't take that risk. Get help. Dr. John Money had no interest in such help. And at this time, as this is continuing, Brenda is now 8, 9, 10 years old. This is being heralded as a success. And uh, critical gender theory now took its hold and its root in academia. At 13 years old, Brenda tells his parents, I am so distraught, I'm going to kill myself. I'm done. And different. I've heard different accounts. Some say he told his mother at 13. Some accounts say that he told his father at 15. Somewhere in there, he was told the truth. He immediately transitioned back to a man, asked for male uh, hormones, went by the name David, had a double mastectomy, uh, went and uh, had a had something surgically created that would attempt to simulate what was what was destroyed and cut off. And for a while, he did better. He got married, um, but you know, with all the story swirling and all the things that happened uh, to him and his brother Brian, Brian committed suicide uh, in two thousand and two, I believe, is when it was. And uh, they, they were born in 1965. They were in the 30s, 40s time frame. And um, uh, in that time frame, shortly after, uh, David Rimmer committed suicide as well. And there were a lot of things that were happening. His marriage had fallen apart. He lost his job. But people will say that, well, you know, he lost his job and his marriage. I mean, that's why he committed suicide. Why did he lose his marriage? Why did he lose his job? Yeah. 
Exactly. Un, inestimable torture. And, and this is all at the idea, this is all at the altar of gender is performed. Gender is a social construct. Which is a totally incoherent statement. I mean, this is, this is the, probably the biggest thing for me about critical gender theory. And uh, this is not my own argument that I came up with the first that I heard of it was from Jordan Peterson. And, you know, like him or lump him, he's, he's a pretty intelligent dude. And he pointed out something very interesting. You know, what what has been the argument for decades for the homosexual community? That they're born it's a, this immutable. way, it's immutable, and you should never try to change anything about me because this is how I am. And then along comes the transgenderism and critical gender theory, and they say, no, 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 no. It's all based fluid. on how you feel. It's fluid. It, it has no, biological essentialism is bunk. It has nothing to do with your biology. It's how you feel. And this is just, th th those two things cannot be stated together in any coherent way. And if it's true that gender and sexuality are fluid, then I have a question. Why is it only fluid one way? Exactly. Why is conversion therapy and counseling for homosexuals a bad thing? Why can't why can't you fluid out of an atypical sexuality or and gender? That, that right there is the biggest problem with it is that it is behavioral, and and that's and, and that's where we really want to go. When you have a behavior, Winston, and, and let, let me set this up because I'm a lying, adulterous, uh, uh, fornicator at heart, right? that all of us are, if I were to act on my impulses, you know, that that, that would be wrong. Truly, yes. What does God say about any of these impulses? I mean, that, 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 are, that are set aside. Are, are we not to render every thought captive? Oh, yeah. Draw nigh to God, and God will draw nigh to you. What did David, or not David, what did Joseph do whenever Potiphar's wife came to him? He ran. He ran to flee. From temptation it doesn't you you are born with a set of proclivities okay everyone has a set of proclivities there is evidence to suggest susceptibility to alcoholism or to drug use if your parent if your mother consumes stuff in the womb there there are things that can happen there are things that can be done there are uh, hormone imbalances there are things that happen to babies in the womb and, and Jennifer you can speak to this where there are uh, life's unhappy accidents in the womb where sometimes girls will get washed with excess uh, androgens and same with boys I mean and that leaves them for with certain certain likes and dislikes and proclivities yeah I mean we say the gender binary and they're like, oh, it's a spectrum. And to some extent, they are right. I mean, there's... there's Expression a, a, is. Yes. There is a big overlap between the male and female sort of characteristics. Absolutely. Men and women are more alike than we are different. Yes. But where we differ is very, very... Specific. Important and specific. And it's it's one of those things where you know you'll have a man that ends up being the caretaker of the home because the woman makes four hundred thousand dollars as a neurosurgeon. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, hey, I I don't I I'd, I'd have a hard time being that guy. But uh, hey, if God if God called you to to that specific situation, 
God bless you. God bless you. You have the chance to raise the kids. Sometimes um, in those situations, you know, uh, it occurs. Um, but it's not, it, it's, not, it's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It's just it, it is a thing. It's not a, necessarily a good thing or a bad thing that the man goes out of the house and, and works and the woman stays at home. It, the question is, is, are you living what God called you to specifically? The, the traditional view of marriage that man's the breadwinner and the woman is the, is the uh, nurturer of the children, I think, is what God originally designed. But we live in a fallen world. We live where, in a time where it's harder to work. And we live in a time also where there are weak men, there are strong women, or in the case of, like I just said, you can have someone who's highly skilled, where it only <laughs> it makes sense for one person to go out and be the, the breadwinner. The, those are things that are absolutely within the scope of the Christian worldview. But, but the idea that God didn't make you right, God made a mistake. When he made you, that God doesn't make mistakes. That's right out of the pit of hell. That is, yea, did God make a mistake? Uh, and that right there is is the issue. So let's let's kind of start to recap here as we wind down. Why are Christianity and gender theory compatible? Well, the view of complementarianism, the biblical view of complementarianism, I think is is, is a really important one, and it states that there's a binary for gender. Uh, but there, there's another issue. Critical gender theory relies on the Marxist system of oppressors and oppressed. It says that a heteronormative couple is the oppressor, whereas the homosexual or the whatever, transgender, etc., is the oppressed. Therefore, they have a higher moral value, and activities done by the oppressor may not necessarily be morally wrong if they were done by the oppressed. Because the oppressor is doing them, they're wrong. And same on the oppressed. The oppressed can act in a way that is terrible and evil and vile, but because they're oppressed, they're allowed to. What does God say about differing measures and weights? Chair of theology. Partiality no good. Partiality is bad. You can find that in James. You can find that all across the Bible. You can find that in Proverbs. Differing measures and weights are an abomination to the Lord. And then, of course, if power makes you an oppressor, what does that make God? <laughs> Think about it. Uh, the all-powerful <laughs> being of the universe? Yeah, I guess that makes him pretty oppressive. But, so, I mean, isn't, isn't that what everyone is really saying when they're talking about these, you know, things that are normal? And I say normal because that's what most people are. I'm not saying it's a bad thing if you don't line up with the normal, you know, quote unquote. That's not a that's not a bad word. That's not a discriminatory word. That's just a description of the majority of people and their experiences. So so when people are um, outside of the norm, then and when the normal is the power and they want to attack the normal, the normal is God ordained. That's that's how he set up the world. All of this is an attack on the fundamental reality of the universe, which is an attack on the sovereignty of God. Critical theory, critiquing the established order. 
that is what it's about. Whenever you read critical theory, it's critiquing the established order. Uh, Winston, uh, Malachi 2.15, if you could pull that up for us. And I, I want to ask the question before you read it, what was marriage? And again, when I say marriage, I'm specifically speaking about marital intimacy. What was marital intimacy primarily for? There are secondary attributes that are wonderful, but primarily Malachi 2.15. But he did not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit, and why one? He seeks godly offspring, therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Now, Malachi 2.15 is an interesting passage, and, and there's more on either side of it, but I just want to drill down on this. What is the purpose of marital intimacy? Be fruitful and multiply. And most importantly, multiply godly children. Okay, there are, and again, if, if you don't have kids, if you can't have kids, your marriage is not incomplete, okay? God is the one who completes you, and you two together can do things that are wonderful for the Lord, even if you don't have kids. I'm not poking at that. There's a beauty in marriage and between Christ and the church. There's this glory in that. Uh, and make sure that you're reproducing by mentoring other people. But Genesis one twenty seven. Jennifer, if you can get that, and be ready to get Genesis 19, 4 through 5. Mr. Steve, please. Sure. sure. So Genesis one twenty seven. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So for those who would like to twist the idea that, or the, the concept of gender fluidity into the Bible, who would like to take the inspired word of God and make it say something that it hasn't for centuries and millennia. Um, what's the problem that Genesis one twenty seven presents from an apologetic standpoint? Well, it presents a clear statement that he created male and female. And when you are willing to ignore a clear statement for vague generalities that just fit whatever you like... You are in dangerous waters because that will that does not stop at one instance. Once you open that can of worms, you can ignore any statement in the whole Bible. One of my favorite expositors on the word, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, one of the most common phrases I heard out of his mouth were the plenary interpretation of the scripture. Scripture as a whole interpreted plainly. The plain text, mm -hmm. whole interpretation of the scripture. Yeah, and, and anyone who thinks this is not a serious issue, let me just add in real quick from Revelation chapter 22, verse 18. This is a warning at the very, this is the last statement in the whole Bible, pretty much. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Now, this is specifically about Revelation, but I think it gives a, a pretty clear picture of how God feels about people who are adding. There's an, a, another one about taking away from the words of the book. It, this is not a toy. This is not something that you can bend and twist to your whims. This was written in a way that it, it, it is the words of God. Even Balaam Winston had a, had a good understanding of that. 
Do you remember what uh, what Balaam's response to the king, uh, who was the enemy of Israel, was when when he said, "I need to prophesy. I need you to prophesy against the children of Israel." Um. He said, "I can only speak what the yeah. Lord has told me to speak." Even Balaam, driven by money and at you know just terrible, terrible, and he, he did terrible things, but even Balaam understood. I'm Beware not going to a false prophet. I'm not going to be a false prophet. I'm not going to twist God's words because it's a bad day. Uh, Mr. Steve, if you could get Genesis 19, 4 through 5. Yes, sir. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house around, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. So that word know is an important word. It, has, it bears the weight of physical intimacy. Right. Uh, and these are men talking about the angels who've just come in to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, what's the first retort from, again, from an apologetic standpoint, what is the first retort that a lot of people will bring when, when we bring this verse up? This is about rape and not homosexuality. But we, we've seen a pattern, haven't we? You allow someone like Dr. John Money to exist, what inevitably happens? Pedophilia, rape. It's a natural progression. It's like sin, and I'll speak for myself. Sin... And I think most of us in this room can attest to this. You will tip your toe out. You will touch it. You will brush that apple. You will caress, or that fruit of the tree. You will caress it, and then you'll smell it. And you get closer to it, and you say, okay, I, I can come by it every day and just look at it. right? And then slowly it turns into biting into it. Wipe the slobber from your mouth because it just looks so good. And that's the thing. You have to cut off sin. Cut it off and do not allow it to, to exist because guess what? It will bite you. Leviticus 18.22, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. You will also find that womankind and womankind talks about uh, people and animals. <clears throat> Deviancy outside of the one man, one woman coming from two different sets of parents. And again, the, the two different sets of parents thing, it's an interesting debate, because wh where did, where did uh, Cain and Abel get their kids? Obviously, it was their sisters. But the reason for that is the, it, there's nothing wrong with marrying your sister, other than you're going to cause some serious genetic issues, and God commanded that you don't do it. Probably primarily for that exact reason, down the gene pool. No, that, ha that, that is you the heard issue. from some people that say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about homosexuality. It doesn't say anything exactly. that it's bad. It, it doesn't say, even bring it. It doesn't talk about it. Well, here we go right here. Look Leviticus at this. Leviticus 18.22. Right there. So just note, it's very specific. And if you want to talk about Old Testament versus New, we'll get to that in a moment. But... Before we do, let's go to Deuteronomy 23, 17 through 18. Winston, if you can get that for me, please. Okay. There shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. 
Thou shalt not bring the hire of a whore or the price of a dog into the house of the Lord thy God for any vow, for even both these are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, that word Kadesh, what is that? that the, word, the Hebrew word Kadesh uh, for a dog, the price of a dog, that word is an interesting word. It means it's not just a dog. It's someone who acts. It's a pejorative. It's a slang. Do not bring it in the price of a man whore. One who acts like a dog, just so that we understand exactly well, what that is. It, it's kind of like uh, More. what you call a a female dog that yeah. you use for breeding. And, well, and and excuse me for the term, but they call that that dog a bitch dog. Yeah, and they use her for breeding with various males. Yeah, where whereas this is specifically aimed at a man. This is specifically right. aimed at a man who acts in that way. <clears throat> There's always been a spiritual aspect to sexuality. Uh, if you if you go back and look at the temple prostitutes, you want you, you want to talk about no reference to homosexuality in the Bible. All of the high places and it talks about the male prostitutes. They weren't just sleeping with women. In fact, they probably were predominantly sleeping with men. Right. And it's again, there's a very spiritual aspect. Uh, to sexuality in a very, it, it's it's interesting. There's some really good studies out there. I got this one from sageu.edu uh, uh, where, and, and this is common data, but when you have a physically intimate reaction, there's a chemical in the woman and a chemical in the man. In the, in the woman, it's oxytocin. I forget what the chemical in the man is off the top of my head, but they are bonding agents and both individuals come away from that experience. It's like imprinting of an owl, right? You know, when a baby owl first opens its eyes, the first creature that owl lays its eyes on is mama. Okay, it's a serious problem when you're trying to rehabilitate a nest of uh, owls because mama was killed. Same thing is true here. When you have two people who come together in that intimate moment, there is a permanent bond that is deep. So just to, uh, you know, that's a whole discussion that we, that we need to have on, on pornography at some point. But this was all done in biblical times. You, you talk about no, no reference to homosexuality. There is a reference to, right there, to this, this deep spirituality in sex that was an incredibly toxic, evil, vile spirituality. Judges 9.22 now, as they were making their way, uh, let me start over. Judges nineteen twenty-two. Sorry. No, no, no. You're good. Now, as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about, and beat at the door, and spake to the master of the house, the old man, saying, "Bring forth the men that came into thine house, that we may know him." Wait a minute. Didn't we just read this? It happened again. Hmm. So, for those of you who don't know, um. This very similar story is in Judges 19, and you'll see that a man was traveling home with his wife. And uh, by the way, terrible chapter of the Bible. It's one of the darkest chapters in the Bible, if you read it. It is descriptive, not prescriptive. There's some vile stuff that happens here. Yeah, this story is wild. It's, it's one of the worst stories that you can read in the Bible, and God's not condoning it, but it is laid out so you understand how vile man can be when not submitted to God. Um, the ch- 
the sons of Benjamin were the ones that did this, and Benjamin is a tribe. Well, they, they allowed it to happen. So the men who actually did it, I believe, were, uh, I can't remember the exact people. They were a tribe within Benjamin, or, or not a tribe, but a, but a family was it a family group? I, I thought it was outsiders that Benjamin was allowing to live in their land, and then they refused to do anything to them when the rest of Israel found out about it. Did you go and read this? I thought it was otherwise, but... but well, either being, way, a, a, a subgroup in the Benjamin. land of Benjamin did this, and the Benjamites refused to hold them accountable in any way. And so what did the children of Israel do? They went. They did not. They not only refused. They defended. Yes. They, they defended fought them. against the rest of Israel to defend them. And so, they wiped out the tribe of Benjamin effectively. Yeah, I think there were like six hundred men left. Yeah, it was it, some ridiculous number. And so they 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 had promised that they would never give their their wife their daughters to Benjamin, and they had to concoct this whole very weird uh, seven brides for seven brothers nonsense thing that happened and it, it, it is not good it's not good so whenever you have homosexuality it will and you allow that in the land it does spiral out of control you do have people like david raymer you do have situations like this woman who was taken and and effectively raped to death romans uh 1 26 to 28 if you can get that for me mr steve for this cause God gave them up unto vile afflictions. Affections. Affections. Uh, uh, yes. Keep For going. even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, earned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was met. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. When God gives you over, who is the source of everything good? The Lord. And when he is no longer reaching out to you and giving you grace, it's a scary place to be. I know you're you're deep in thought over there, Winston. Uh, it, okay, so there's a thing in lower, lower clocked processors, which are only in the millions of hertz. Um, and... It's a it's a crystal oscillator that's it's kept in check by a PLL, which is a phase lock loop. Um, that keeps it in check plus minus however much, but within a certain spec that it is it is fine. Um, if you get rid of that phase lock loop, you anything that you get into it is and or anything that you input into it and you get out of it can be absolutely whatever. There's there's absolutely no, nothing that uh, nothing of use that you'll get garbage and garbage out. That's it. And that's something that you've got to remember is that at the end of the day, what you dwell on, what you pour into your soul, ultimately affects you. You cannot 
intake the garbage of the world without regurgitating some of it. That's why the, the, the word for meditation and dwelling on the, on the word is, is, is this regurgitation word. It's like chewing of the cud. Cows will sometimes vomit up what they eat four times and retake it in because of the way that their digestive tract works. Mm-hmm. You are supposed to take the word in, put it out, take it in, put it out. You're supposed to make sure that you are dwelling within that, um, that knowledge of the Lord. But for those who say that this is, this is not talking about homosexuality, may I humbly suggest that you read it without any preconceptions again and look very closely at it. And if you can't see it past there, may I suggest that you should be very concerned as to whether or not you, you've been given over. You need to think about it. You need to really think about it. Because this, this terrifies me when I think about God giving me up and giving me over. I hope he, you know, I, I have the spirit within me. But there is a, a quenching of the spirit. Be careful. Be careful. First Corinthians 6, 9, if you can get that for us, Jennifer. Sure. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That Greek word for effeminate, it means of uncertain affinity, you will, squishy, someone who is not bearing up and adding up to their male role. And the same could be said of the female gender. What does the Bible say about a spectrum? I, I, would, I would argue that 1 Corinthians 6-9 is a direct line on homosexuality, cross-dressing. You want to go to the Old Testament, cross-dressing was a no-no. And by the way, their outfits were so similar, it, cross-dressing takes like a different terminology and meaning because their outfits were really similar. The, the, it, the expressed intent and purpose is, are you trying to look? Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of women wearing pants versus men wearing pants because they all wore robes, guys. It's, are you trying to present as a different sex? That is the question. So First Timothy uh, one ten, Mr. Steve, if you could get that for us. Certainly. For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, this is a long list, and uh, Paul goes on to say, Nope, this is a list of people that Paul is singling out. By the way, men-stealers, a topic for another time. Slavers, okay. But uh, those who defile themselves with mankind. God does not like you putting that in that place. Just, just saying it that way. God has a, detest- a detestation of that. He does not like that. That is not the design and intent and purpose. You are not living... You are a pot that does not hold water in God's eyes if you are doing that. So if you know if you want to say it's talking specifically about men or about boys, well Romans one I think is you know pretty pretty explicit. 
Yeah. And I just want to add real quickly to your point. You mentioned, you know, some people bring up the difference between Old and New Testament. For one thing, we just read all these verses from the New Testament. But from another thing, you know, just harping on being consistent today, for those Christians out there, if you believe in the Trinity, if you believe that Jesus Christ is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and that God the Father is God, and that they are eternally existent, and they are in harmony one with another, then what you have to understand is that everything that God said in the Old Testament, God the Father said in the Old Testament, Jesus was in perfect harmony with him from eternity past. And that carries over into the New Testament. So you can say all you want, well, Jesus didn't, the words didn't come out of the physical mouth of Jesus while he was on this earth. No, but they came from God the Father, and Jesus is the word. All of these words are from Jesus, from, from, cover, to, from cover to cover. Precisely. And again, if you say that, you know, say that they're different, well, you're wrong. We can prove that, that the, the Trinity, although that word is not in the Bible, Definitely the concept is there. Winston. Yeah, and what do you think Jesus was reading out of? What, <laughs> Old what, Testament? Yeah, what, what do you think Paul, all of them, all the disciples, what do you think they were referring to? It's Old Testament. That's all they had. They didn't have, they didn't have the book of Matthew when Jesus was around. <laughs> yeah, it's, precisely. So to say that Jesus came and he's just like, well, get rid of all this, but I'm going to keep repeating it. Because, I mean, what happened whenever he was in the temple? He taught with authority. On the scriptures from the Old Testament. Exactly. So just wrapping up for the day, I'm going to go from the chair of theology, from an apologetic perspective. If you're talking to someone who does not know the Lord, or you're talking to a family member or friend who is in a church that has a liberal doctrine on the issue of critical gender theory, what does the Bible say about critical gender theory, about the gender as a social construct? It's something that's malleable. And what is a good response theologically? The, you are redefining something that God has already put in definition, um, that he has created as a constant. Now you have decided to change that when you don't have the authority to, and you don't have technically the means to either, at least not eternally. Very good. Well spoken. Jennifer, wrapping up for the day, philo philosophically, someone comes to you with this argument. Mm -hmm. What do you so, say? So uh, philosophically, you know, we've brought up a few arguments of inconsistencies, which I think are very persuasive. But the problem is, if you just present them to someone in a way that you are arguing with them, it's not very persuasive. Indeed. If, you, if the, you're arguing, the, you've lost. Yes. The, the best way in my estimation to come about this philosophically is approach them humbly and ask questions that will lead them to discover those contradictions on their own. Make, literally make them think that they are finding out just because you're asking them questions. Socratic method is very powerful. Exactly. If you want to uh, full-on inception this person, that is the way to go. And that is the way. By the way, Jesus often started with questions. Mm -hmm. Often. And Jesus never started with Jesus. He always started with, where are you? Mm -hmm. And let me, once I have your problem, that you've laid out your problem, I'm going to explain how to solve it. Yeah, and very important. 
don't ask the questions in a snarky way. L literally ask them from a very humble place and let them work it out in their own mind. Questions like, if gender is a construct, then how is it immutable in cases of homosexuals versus malleable in cases of gender fluid? Those were two points that I, I wanted to put in the article and in the description, but I, I couldn't quite find a good substantiation for both in the same paper because the scholarship is so lax on this. Very good. Moving over to the chair of culture. Yes, um, and she made a good point about having discussion as to about being humble. The thing about Christians is that Christians are willing to discuss the Bible openly. They'll talk up to you about anything, and they'll go to Scripture, show what they have, talk to you about it. But when you talk to people on critical gender theory, their arguments have a tendency to fall apart because you can go to uh, statistics and show that this doesn't work out. <laughs> For instance, John Money, yep. his thing fell completely apart. Kinsey, I mean, this evil guy, he, you know, evil concept, studied under a Nazi. I mean, really? I mean, just where's the millstone? Exactly. And break them out right now. So, you know, if these things are going on in your school, go to your school boards, talk to them, tell them what you think, and we're seeing that completely across the country now. Absolutely. Amen to these parents. Absolutely. Get involved and go ahead and drill down. Remember, politically, uh, just remember, you are given an inheritance in this country. You have a special gift to live here. You can involve yourself in the change and in the governance of this. You, we are a government of the people, by the people. Make sure that you are pushing for godliness and righteousness in politics. I was talking to one friend of mine at one point, not too long ago, and he said, I don't get into politics because politics is icky. And my response to that is, well, so is public sanitation. But if someone doesn't do it, we'll all be swimming in it. Guess what we're swimming in right now? A hundred years of them making ground, and we have lost, and our children have suffered. We have suffered from it. People like David Rimmer. There's a lot of people like Dave Rimmer who were treated because John Money, Dr. John Money, was taken as gospel. There are a lot of people just like him, okay? Understand that this is having real-world consequences. It's much more important as to whether or not your, your cheese is cruelty-free, that there are children who are being taken advantage of, and it's because we've allowed these people, these sexual deviants and perverts, to hold these positions. Let's start to take these people out one by one, outlawing their experimentation on people. Okay? When he says take them out, you know, he means legally. Legally. Let's take them out of their positions. Thank you. Just in case yes. anyone was wondering. Not advocating <laughs> violence. Not advocating <laughs> violence. And from the chair of economics, remember, they're making money doing this. So probably need to go ahead and uh, actually take note that the scholarship is incredibly lackluster because there's no controverting it because you're a bigot if you do. 
If you enjoy this podcast, go ahead and like, comment, share, subscribe, all those great things. Thank you so much for your listenership. We appreciate it. We look forward to uh, hearing from you and seeing uh, your responses in the comment sections down below. If you did not like this podcast, make sure you smash that dislike button uh, twice and tell us why you did. But uh, with that, thank you so much. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 All right. If you're still here, if you're still here, uh, how would you think, you know, uh, we're, we're supposed to have un, not cruel and unusual punishment in this country, but Dr. John Money, uh, method of execution for Dr. John Money, Winston. Um, 22 to the kneecaps. Um, then you string him by his big toes. Okay. Upside okay. down until his brain inevitably succumbs to the pressure from the blood falling to it. I like this. Jennifer? The thoughts that have just flooded into my brain are a little scary, and I'm afraid to say them out loud. Um, Give us the PG-13 version. Suffice to say, uh, it would take a while. Yeah, I'm for that. Hmm, uh, Cultural chair. um, I'm an old guy, come from an old school, and uh, I'd say probably... Shot to the head, feed him to the buzzard. There you go. Uh, I'm I'm thinking massive paper cuts and lemon juice, and just uh, continue to get them deeper and deeper until you know it's all over. Uh, but all that to say, we want to make sure that uh, these people do deserve death. There is a reason for the death penalty, and these feelings are natural. Uh, it's good that we hold hold a, hold a certain standard. But vengeance is mine, mine say it the Lord. Lord so. Amen. So, so I think I think bolt to the head's good. Go ahead and put in the comment section down below, uh, Dr. John Raymer, how do you think he should have gone? No, 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 Dr. John Money. Dr. John Money, the one who did it to David Raymer. Yes. Thank you. Right. <laughs> I'm tired. Thank you. Dr. John Money, how do you think he should have gone? Let us know. And the most egregious one, if we uh, if we see him, go ahead and uh, we'll, 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 we'll read it. We'll, we'll shout you out next time. <laughs> we'll read it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Oh, my goodness.